So if you have your Bibles or a Bible app, uh, please open to Matthew 6. Um, As we have already said, we are looking at the Lord's Prayer this morning, and we are currently in a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And in this uh, sermon, Jesus lays out for his disciples a vision for what it means to follow him, a vision for what it means to belong to the kingdom of God. And so if you are a disciple here this morning, if you follow Christ, Jesus is going to teach you something very important, how to pray, how to pray. Now, prayer is something that we recognize is common to the Christian life, but it is also one of those things that we, if we're honest, we'd admit is quite uh, frustrating at times. It's one of those things that we we know, yeah, I need to pray, and I know it's something that God calls me to do, and I, I think it's a good thing, but my actual experience of it is less than ideal. And, and even earlier this fall, prayer kind of culturally came under somewhat of an attack. So you may remember that um, back in the, the late summer and fall, there were two horrific shootings, one in Las Vegas and one at a church in Texas. And after, in the aftermath of both of these shootings, there was a number of people on social media or just in the media in general going after those who would say, hey, my thoughts and prayers are with the victims. And and the attack goes something like this. Well, what does that change? Thoughts and prayers, that's an empty sentiment. That's being passive. That doesn't change a thing. And and while we would acknowledge as those who follow Christ that prayer is something powerful, at least on paper, I wonder if that objection somewhat resonates. Like, yeah, what difference does prayer make? Like, why do I pray? What, what, What does it change? What impact does it have? And if you're anything like me, you've had questions, you've had frustrations with prayer, you've probably felt guilty over not doing it enough, maybe you've been confused about how to do it, why we do it, and then doubts about whether it serves a purpose. And so here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to take all of that doubt, I want us to take all of that frustration, I want us to take all of those questions and all those wrestles and bring them to Christ Lay them at his feet and let him teach us about what it means to pray. Teach us about the purpose and the power of prayer. For those of you this morning who wouldn't claim to follow Christ, or maybe you don't know if you do. Maybe you're uncertain of where you stand. I want you to know that as a church, we welcome your wrestle. We welcome your questions. We welcome your frustrations. And, and we, we're not here to pressure you into some decision if we're trying to sell you a used car. We want to give you space to work those things out because many of us in this room who follow Christ, it took us years to get there. Like it was years of wrestle, years of questions, years of going through the word and talking with other Christians and processing through. And so no, this is a church that values that and wants to honor that in you as well. And so if you bring your questions, you bring your doubts you bring your frustrations as well. Know that they're welcome here. And know that our heart is that you would know and follow Christ and be his disciple. And so here's the three things that we're going to look at related to this prayer. We're going to look at the person of the prayer, the priority, and the provision. And so let's first look at the person. Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray by starting with the person they are to pray to. And I'm going to spend most of my time here because I am more and more convinced that our prayer life is directly tied to how we see God. 
Is God a loving father? Or he is someone else? And depending on how you see that, not just in your head, but how you believe and how it resonates with your heart, directly affects your prayer life. And so I want to I hang most of our time emphasizing this first point because I think that will be the thing that sort of transforms us and our prayer life. And so let's set a little context here. As we learned last week, Jesus is confronting the sinful and selfish practices of the religious leaders that were affecting the community. And so in verse, chapter 6, verse 5, Uh, Jesus points out that the Pharisees, when they pray, they love to do it to be seen. Like, it's all about, I want to be seen as righteous and holy and spiritually mature. And so they would pray out in public in very showy ways so people could see them. Hey, look at me. I'm praying. I'm awesome. I'm spiritual. I'm communing with God. And so Jesus points out that this is a hypocritical way to approach prayer. He also points out how the Gentiles would so these were, this were everybody who wasn't Jewish. They were kind of lumped into one group called the Gentiles. And he's pointing out, hey, this is the way that they pray that's also influencing the community. See, the Gentiles, they practiced rote, ritualistic prayer that focused on just stringing words together. So it wasn't about actual communion with the Lord. It was, I need to find the right words to sort of unlock God's power. And so it was this total mechanical, transactional thing. Okay, what's the secret password, God? I gotta, I gotta say as many words as I possibly can. If I just overwhelm God with the volume of my words, then he'll, get, he'll do what I need him to do. And so it was completely pragmatic. It didn't, even ma- ma- it didn't even matter if the words made sense in their mind or resonated in their heart. It was just speak, volume. And let me ask this question for us. Is it possible that prayer is hard for us confusing for us, frustrating for us, because we do the same thing as the religious leaders and the Gentiles. Now, you may have never prayed in this overly showy way. You might not go to 36 and 370 and stand on the street corner and go, look, I'm praying right here. Here's me. I'm righteous. But how often have you done this? In a prayer setting, you, you wanted to appear spiritual. You didn't want people to know that you're a hot mess and so you, you started praying in this very theologically sound way. Like, I'm going to hide my junk. I want you to think that I'm very spiritual. And so I'm going to use a lot of big theological terms. I'm going to quote scripture. And all of a sudden, you just start rambling. Or maybe you're super insecure because everybody around you is super spiritual and knows a lot of theological terms. And so you just start borrowing words. You have no idea what they mean, but you heard someone say it one time and you don't want anybody to know that you really don't know the Bible that well. And so you start trying to impress. Or maybe you're trying to impress God with your prayers. If I pray every day, or if I pray using these certain words, then God will listen to me. He'll be impressed with my prayers and I'll get what I want. And when you pray day after day after day after day and it doesn't happen and you get frustrated because you're like, I must not be performing for God. Or how many of us, we wouldn't say we babble mindlessly, but we treat prayer entirely pragmatic. It's about, God, I need this thing. Will you please give it to me? Please help me. So you pray in crisis. You pray when you need something. But your heart is far from the Lord. 
Like God seems like this distant person way out there. You believe he's powerful. You believe he can do what you ask. But there's no relationship. And so it's just mechanical. It's cold. And so when we don't get what we want or, or things don't seem to be happening in our prayer life, we think, well, I must not be saying the right words. I must not be spiritual enough. I, might, I must not be using the right language. And so we get frustrated. So trying to impress, whether it be another person or whether it's trying to impress God, or trying to be cold and mechanical and just trying to have this transactional relationship, Jesus comes in and he says, no. This is not how disciples of Jesus pray. This is not what God has called us to. So Jesus turns these faulty and sinful ways of praying on their heads by reorienting reorienting us to whom we pray. Jesus says this in verse nine, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus says that prayer isn't about trying to impress other people. It isn't about trying to impress God. It isn't about some empty utility where I'm just trying to get God to do things for me. He says prayer is about an intimate, vital, personal, life-giving relationship with God who is a person and a father. In church, let's be honest. There's no room to hide here. There's no reason to hide here. Let's be honest. We lose track of the fact, the sight, the truth that God is a person. We treat God like an idea We can treat God as this impersonal force that's just kind of out there holding the universe together that we talk to once in a while. Or we treat him as a theological concept, but we don't treat him as a person. Consider how we can read scripture. If, if, if If you're a little skeptical of what I'm saying, consider how we read scripture, how you may approach scripture. How often... Do we read scripture to know about God, but not adore God? How often do we read scripture to explain God rather than to experience God? And if what you hear in me, what I'm saying is you're thinking, oh, that's just empty emotionalism, you're missing the point. That God reveals himself in truth to us that we might adore and experience him. This isn't about empty emotionalism. This is about understanding that God is a person who relates to us. And think of this. How would this play out if you related to your spouse or your kids or your friends in this way? Like, like if your, your wife or your husband were, were, were an idea rather than a person, or your kids were an idea, or your friends were an idea. And so it was, you saw your spouse, like, so if I see Mindy and it's like, She's a wife, just this concept of a wife, wifiness or whatever that is. And instead of relating to her as a person, I just have these ideas that, okay, I got to know, well, a wife is married to a husband and this is, this is what a wife does and this is the role. And, and, and so all these concepts in my mind, all the while, here's this person with a personality and I'm just completely just bypassing that. There's no intimacy. There's no connection. If you related to people like that, it would be a little weird and it would be entirely broken. And yet, this is what we do with the Lord. He's an idea to us. 
he's a theological concept to us. He's this abstract principle to us rather than a person. And Jesus steps in and wants to break that down and set us free to experience God as a person, to have a relationship with a God who can be known and wants to be in that intimate relationship with us. Listen to how A.W. Tozer in his book, The Pursuit of God, unpacks the truth that God is a person. We have almost forgotten that God is a person and, as such, can be cultivated as any person can. It is inherent in personality to be able to know other personalities. Religion, so far as it is genuine, is in essence the response of created personalities, that's you and me, to the creating personality, God. This is life eternal that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. God is a person. In the deep of his mighty nature, he thinks and wills and enjoys and feels and loves and desires and suffers as any person may. He communicates with us through the avenues of our minds and our wills and our emotions. The continuous and unembarrassed interchange of love and thought between God and the soul of the redeemed man is the throbbing heart of the New Testament religion. God is a person who offers himself to us as another person that we might experience him. And if this is the glorious truth of how God relates to us, why are we so afraid to relate to God as a person? Why is it more comfortable to relate to God as an idea than as a person? Why do we keep God at arm's length as a theological concept rather than a person that we can be in vital, life-giving relationship with? Why do we reduce prayer to some mechanical business transaction rather than communing and being in a relationship with God? Here's another way to ask this. Why do we struggle being vulnerable with God? Why do we struggle with intimacy with God when he offers himself in this way to us? We do not relate to God as just a generic person. He's not just kind of this person concept thing. Jesus gives us a very specific category, father. God is father. And Jesus telling his disciples to address God as father was somewhat of a radical notion. Now, in the Old Testament, God never, or the prophets, or never direct the people of God to pray saying, our father. Now, the concept is there. God certainly relates to his people as a father, but it's never this direct in the Old Testament. And so what Jesus is doing is he's further revealing who God is and he's bringing intimacy down back on. And so Jesus giving definition to how we address God as father is meant to create this deeper sense of intimacy because here's what can happen. Formality can limit intimacy. Formality can actually stiff arm and present how clo- prevent how close you get with somebody. Think of it this way. So in my relationship with my wife, um, if you're around us much, you will notice that we rarely ever call each other by our first name. Like you will rarely ever hear Mindy call me Chris or me call Mindy Mindy. We call each other babe. 
Don't laugh because what we have is special and it's powerful, okay? But our entire marriage, that formality, dude, like who calls Mindy Mrs. Hemmelman? Kids, or if she were a teacher. Someone that doesn't have an intimate personal relationship with her. Someone who's not gonna call her babe. And if they did, that would be really weird. Or impolite. And so what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, when you address God as father, you're pushing past that formality. This isn't some formal business transaction where you're talking to this God who's so far above and other that you dare not come into his presence and that you got to grovel and he doesn't want to be in relationship with you. No, through Jesus Christ, he is your father in all the intimacy that that implies. Other parts of scripture use the term Abba, which is translated daddy. When you call your father daddy, that's love, that's intimacy. And so Christ calls us into a deep relationship with God who is a person and a father. Again, let's hear Tozer calling us to consider how we relate to God. Now personality and fatherhood carry with them the idea of the possibility of personal acquaintance. This is admitted, I say, in theory, but for millions of Christians, nevertheless, God is no more real than he is to the non-Christians. They go through life trying to love an ideal and be loyal to a mere principle. Over and against all this cloudy vagueness stands the clear scriptural doctrine that God can be known in personal experience. A loving personality dominates the Bible, walking among the trees of the garden and breathing fragrance over every scene. Always a living person is present, speaking, pleading, loving, working, and manifesting himself whenever and wherever his people have the receptivity necessary to receive. Let me ask this again. Why is it hard for you to be vulnerable with God? This living, speaking, pleading, working, loving God and person offers himself to you through Jesus Christ. Why is it hard for you to be vulnerable with God? What keeps you from pouring out your heart to him when he invites you to do that? What keeps you from bringing your pain and your sin to him when he invites you to do that? If you truly saw God as a good and loving father, how would that change your prayer life? How would that change your intimacy with God? How would that change your vulnerability with God? Jesus also tells us this father we relate to closely and personally and intimately is no earthly flawed human father. He is God. He is holy and righteous and good. And so we pray, hallowed be your name. And to pray this means we acknowledge his holiness and goodness and glory. By rights, God is that holy and other that we cannot approach because of in our sin, we dare not approach him. That is who he is. And in our sin, we have no claim. We have no space to call him father. But through Jesus Christ, we can hallow his name. We can be near him. And this expression is an expression of worship and delight in the holiness of God. It delights in his goodness and in his beauty. 
It is praying for and longing for God to make his name hallowed and honored and worshiped. And so here's what we're doing. We're expressing our desire to see God's glory go forth in this world, that more and more people might come and worship him. Like what is going to be true in the future where the glory of God spreads the entire earth and full restoration, full redemption comes? We want that future to be pulled into the present. And so we ask God to hollow his name, glorify his name. We want those things to be true in our life. We want his glory and his goodness and his beauty to overtake us and transform us. And here is why hallowing God's name is good news for us and shows us the power of prayer. Here's what sociologists tell us, Christian and non-Christian alike. There is a unique relationship between a father and his children. This doesn't minimize or downplay a mother's role, but there's something unique and distinct about a father's role in the life of his kids. And so ideally speaking, the father sets the identity of his kids like no one else. He is the one that helps bring definition to a child's life, helps set their idea of meaning and purpose and good and evil, gives them a sense of confidence in the world and be able to relate socially to others gives them that solid foundation and steadiness through the chaos of growing up. A father is to nurture and love his child so a child is secure in his or her identity and capable of healthy relationships. And when we relate to God personally as our loving father, when we worship God in prayer and his goodness and his grace and his holiness and his glory are the thing that set more and more our identity transforms us. Like in Christ, you know your identity is set objectively by the grace and the glory and the love and the goodness of God. But too often, we chase after other things. We like to perform. We like to hide. We like to build our own identities. But when we hallow God's name, when God's name and his glory become the thing that we most love and most adore, when his goodness and beauty are the thing that make our heart beat, oh, it sets us free from having to perform. It sets us free from hiding. So hallowing God's name sets our identity and the result of that is freedom. And so here's the goodness of God put on display that when he is the center of all that we are, when he sets our identity, we benefit. We're set free. We, we experience joy in, in, in the depths of our soul like nothing else can bring us. And so knowing God as a father brings stability to an identity that brings freedom and joy to your life. Now I know some of you in here have very broken relationships with your earthly father. It's my story. It's the story of many of you in this room. And so you hear talk of God as Father, and, and that just takes you to a very weird place, very difficult place. Because your understanding of a relationship with a Father is so broken and shot through with pain and scars and dysfunction that it scares you to think of relating to God as a Father. And so, so, so can I lovingly encourage you with this? What your, hev- what your earthly Father broke, let your Heavenly Father restore. The, the, the scars and the wounds 
and the pain and the dysfunction that your earthly father left you with, let your heavenly father take. And in his grace and in his goodness and in his glory, let him bring healing and restoration and redemption to you. Let him establish your identity. So you relate to God as father. This is what you will hear him say. My son, my daughter, I love you. And I spared no expense for you to know me as father. In prayer, allow God to bring healing to where your earthly father broke you. In prayer, let the identity that you have in Christ transform you and set you free. This is what happens in prayer. This is what happens when we commune with God as a father and as a person. We are transformed. And from the person of prayer leads to priority. It's like hitting a domino. When prayer starts with the person of God, when we see God as a loving father, there's a chain reaction. From the person comes the priority. We pray to our father who is holy that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, left to ourselves, we're prone to chase after our own kingdoms. We're weak. We, we, we want to build our own identities. We want to build our own kingdoms. We want to establish our own security and our own name. And we want others to do that for us. We want others to, to support our name and our glory. But when we're set free from building our own identities, when we're set free from having to perform, when we're set free from, from having to sort of establish a name for ourselves and get everybody else to buy into that mission, when God's glory and his goodness and his kingdom are the thing that sets our identity, then we're free to live for new priorities. We're free to live for something far greater than our own name and our own identity and our own kingdom. And so if you're skeptical that prayer moves people to action, consider this. If your identity is rooted in Christ, if you've been set free from having to perform, if you've been set free from having to try to grab all that you can in this life to try to establish a sense of security and, and to feel good about yourself and to present an image in front of other people, if you're set free of all of that, Guess what you're set free to do? To love, to sacrifice, to give, to, to go forward, to see that others know Christ, that the gospel goes forward, that justice and mercy and righteousness are the thing that takes root in our city and in our world. Like when I don't have to perform for you anymore, I can love you and serve you. Like when I'm, I'm done trying to build my own kingdom and sort of hoard my own little treasure chest, I can be generous. Like I can sacrifice. When I'm transformed in prayer, when I pray that the kingdom of God comes, that the gospel goes forward, that, that his mercy and righteousness and justice take root, and then I am set free. My faith is given feet. Prayer transforms us into those who live for the glory of God. And so we pray that the kingdom advances in our world, that the kingdom advances in our homes and in our work and how we parent. 
So prayer isn't passive. Prayer gives us boldness. Prayer allows us to risk even when things are hard. And so from the person to the priority and finally the provision. And over the next several weeks, we're going to look more closely at these, but I just want to touch on this briefly. Our Father, whose kingdom is great and glorious, who sends us on mission for his kingdom, is also the one who provides for us. Jesus shows us that in prayer, we cultivate dependence on our Father. This is what he tells us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So easy to grab at things for security. And do you trust that God is a good father who sees you and knows what you need, as Jesus said, and will provide for you everything that you need? Do you trust that God has provided fully for your forgiveness through Jesus Christ? And so you don't need to self-atone or earn that forgiveness yourself. Do you believe that he has made every provision to provide power for you to overcome sin and trial and suffering? And he will deliver you from evil, even if the darkness comes crashing into your world. See, when we truly see God as a good father who knows exactly what we need and sees us as his children, this changes our prayer life. This changes how we live. We stop trying to find security in possessions and ask him to give us what we need because he knows what we need more than we do and he is good and he will provide. We stop trying to control our circumstances and we trust his will and trust that his kingdom is going forward. As we're going to see in a couple weeks, faith increases and anxiety decreases when we trust that God is a good father who provides. We stop trying to self-atone and perform and make up for our sins and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We have confidence that through his spirit we can overcome sin and temptation. We stop retreating from the world and relationships and we embrace risk and vulnerability. In prayer, we experience the presence of God and through prayer, God acts on our behalf. Your loving Father stands ready to provide what keeps you back, what keeps you from being vulnerable with God, what keeps you from pouring out your needs when he is ready to provide. And so church, let's move away from trying to impress God. Jesus finished it. Jesus did all that we needed. Let's move away from seeing prayer as cold utility and merely pragmatism. We have a father who wants to be in intimate relationship with us. Let's run to that God. Let's run to our father. Let's bring our hearts and our minds and our emotions and our hurts and our sins and all of our needs and the needs of others and pour them out before a father who is ready to provide. In him are infinite riches and blessing. And let's see that, let's believe that, that it may transform our prayer life. And look, I know life is messy. I know doubts are gonna come, but Jesus' words give us hope. 
Jesus' words bring clarity. They cut through all of the mess, all of the doubt, all the frustration, and point us to truth. Power for the Christian life is found in prayer. It really is that simple. I didn't say easy, but it really is that simple. In prayer, we are transformed. And in prayer, God works. And so let me just give you a couple sort of take-home points here. Practical application. First, understand that a relationship is built in years. Think of the most deep, intimate relationship you have with somebody. How long did that relationship take? Years. It's ongoing. Look, you can't cram 20 years of relationship into one prayer. So you may look back and go, man, all those lost years where I could have been pursuing God. Yes. Hand them to Christ. Trust Christ that he covers those. And begin now. There is still time now. God is infinite. And so that relationship will never hit its ceiling. Start now. And begin to build intimacy with God and know that it's one small step at a time. Second, follow Jesus' model. The model that Jesus lays out for us is something that helps us in our categories. What should I pray for? Well, Jesus directs us. Praise. Praising God for who he is, relating to God for who he is, his glory and his goodness. And so we worship God in prayer. Our priority we, we have a priority that God's kingdom be the thing that our entire life is wrapped in. And so pray that the kingdom of God be present in our life and go forward in our life. Provision. God, provide everything that I need. Confession. Confessing our sins, knowing that through Jesus Christ we're forgiven. And finally, protection. Protection and strength through the trials and sufferings of life. You don't have to invent your own method You don't have to come up with creative categories. Follow these that Jesus lays out for us. Third, start simple. Especially if you're not in a habit of praying, then I would just say start with a few minutes of prayer a day and work your way up. Start with maybe one of these categories and begin to add on or do them all and just do it in a short amount of time. The prayer that Jesus gave, how long does that take to go through? Very short. There is something simple and short here that says, God, I'm not trying to impress you with my words. I'm not trying to impress you with how much time it takes. I am in complete and utter obedience to you. I'm complete and utter dependence to you. Hear my feeble prayer. So this doesn't need to be complicated. Start simple. And finally, remember God isn't after your performance. He's after your heart. Don't impress God. He's not after this perfectly worded prayer. Just pour out your heart to him. That's what he wants. That's what he's after. So church, let's not overthink this. Let's not overanalyze this. In humble and simple faith, let's come before our father because he is good. He wants to know us and he's ready to provide. And so let's go together to our father in prayer.